This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Welcome to Rico Bronia. This is going to be a little bit more depressing, today's edition of Rico Bronia. A while back, we did a podcast going through some of the great free agent signings in the history of the New York Mets. It was a happy occasion. It was a smiling occasion. Thought back to good moments, to good players, Everybody was smiling, but you knew what was inevitable, and that was to come back and do the complete opposite. And what's really, really sad about worst free agent signings in Met history is there are many, many choices. I mean, it is a laundry list of bad signings throughout history. Um, It's funny. When we did best free agent signings in Met history, I did get a couple of emails and a couple of tweets almost ripping Pete and I, for not including one particular signing. And what I would write back to those guys is I said, just wait for the worst signing. Because even though you think this guy should be in the best signing, in my mind, he's in the worst signing. So we'll get to that. And trust me, when we get to that player, I will remind you that there were many people that wanted him in the best signing category. Now, two things. There are two kinds of free agents, and we should clarify, and it's kind of similar to what we talked about when we did the best free agent signings, and I do recommend you listening to that podcast. If you haven't listened, go back into the archives of Rico Bronia. It's there. But we differentiated between signing a guy after you've acquired them. Uh, Because look, look at Mike Piazza. He's a great example. The Mets traded for Mike Piazza. None of us would ever consider him to be a free agent signing, but then the Mets went out and signed him. It's sort of different with this because there are five particular guys who I think live on the Mount Rushmore, if you will, of horrible Met signings, except they were acquired via trade and then it got bad once they were given a new contract. So I want to start with those guys. I think it's a completely separate category because they weren't acquired as free agents. But as we go through these names and you think back to their tenure with the Mets, trust me, it'll ring a bell that they were acquired and then they were given a contract. And those contracts are what really we remember as the bad of the bad. There are five particular guys, one of which is before my time. So I want to get that out of the way early because this is something that I think it's important to mention, but I don't remember the guy as a player. Uh, can I bust your chops real quick there, Evan? Just, just because we 
I thought we established if they were on the team already, you really can't put them in the, on the, like that free agent category. I agree. I think it's different, though, in this case. And you're going to hear why right now. Because some of the guys I'm about to mention were so effing bad off <laughs> that they actually need to be mentioned. So we're going to separate them. I think we're going to do two categories. The ones I'm about to get to right now, guys that were acquired and given new contracts because they're almost different tenures in a weird way. And then the guys that they just flat out added in free agency. You'll see. It's really, really different. Really different. Let me start with George Foster because George Foster's a guy that I don't think Hoff remembers as old as he is. I don't remember him as a player. And I didn't even realize. I had always assumed that the Mets just signed George Foster as a free agent. But when you look back, the Mets traded for him. They actually made a trade with Cincinnati. The Reds were trying to give him an extension. The Mets ended up giving him an extension as soon as they traded for him. So you want to count that as a free agent. Count it however the hell you want. Here's the bottom line. George Foster was an MVP with the Cincinnati Reds. George Foster hit 52 home runs with the Cincinnati Reds. George Foster was a big part of the big red machine. He comes to the Mets at age 33, and he flat out sucks. That's that's just the bottom line. He was not very good. His first year with the Mets hit 13 home runs and 70 RBIs with a 676 OPS. His second year was better. He had 28 home runs, drove in 90, but his OPS was still crappy at 708. Plus, everybody hated him. That was the other thing I heard. Nobody liked him in the Met locker room. So as the Mets were starting to emerge as this good young team, specifically in 84 and then 85, nobody in the locker room liked him to the point where in 1986, they finally mercifully caught him. But he was actually a part of the team that was turning the franchise around. But for many older Met fans, they look at George Foster as the first significant addition Technically not a free agent, but sort of free agency because of the extension. And they look at him as just one of the biggest failures. At the time, his contract made him the second highest paid player in baseball behind Yankee Dave Winfield. He got a five-year, $10 million contract. Doesn't sound like a lot now, but back then, it was a crap load of money. So out of respect for the past, I want to mention George Foster. Now, let's get to our era, Hoff, and you'll see... Why these guys have to be mentioned. Let's start with Oliver Perez. All right. <laughs> because when the Mets traded for Oliver Perez right before the trade deadline in 2006, he was sort of the throw in. He was having a terrible, terrible season. And the Mets really needed bullpen help because Duane Sanchez got in that car accident. So they traded Xavier Nady. They got back Roberto Hernandez and they got back Oliver Perez. And let's be honest. Oliver Perez, at the beginning of his Met tenure, and this is prior to signing any kind of contract, was not a bad Met. He pitched rather well in Game 7 of that NLCS, got bailed out by that amazing catch by Andy Chavez, but overall pitched pretty well in that game, and then came back in the 2007 season and was really good. That's the crazy thing about it. He comes back in 2007, has a a 3.5 ERA, wins 15 games, gives him 177 innings, and always seemed to pitch well in the big spot. Like, Mets play the Philadelphia Phillies, Oliver Perez pitched well. Mets play the New York Yankees, Oliver Perez pitched well. Comes back in 2008, not quite as good of a season, but a pretty good season. Goes out and makes 34 starts, those 194 innings, has a low four ERA, and was at least a consistent contributor 
in the middle of that Met rotation. Then he hit free agency. Now, Hoff, do you remember the other big free agents that were available during that time period? The other free agents in this is 2005 or 2006? No, no, this is 2009 now because 2009. remember, they, they got him in 06. He pitches fine right. in 2007, pitches fine in 2008, now gets to free agency. And Oliver Perez is out there. You know, he's just he's a free agent sitting out there. And it took a while before the Mets signed him. That's why I you sort of have to include him in this because he was gone in a way. The Mets had a chance to replace him. And then the Mets decided just to bring him back. I'm, I'm blanking who the who the who the stud because it must have been a pitcher that we're trying to go for if we had to go and bring back Oliver Perez. Correct? There was another pitcher available during that offseason. Um, you may have heard of him. You may have remembered him. His name was CC Sabathia. Mm. Oh, duh. <laughs> no, but it's not a no duh because we were so trained by the Wilpons to know. The Mets were never going after CC Sabathia. They were never going after AJ Burnett, who was a free agent at the time. Um, Derek Lowe was a free agent too, and I, I remember him being one of the guys I looked at, saying, "Hey, he wouldn't be bad. He wouldn't be a terrible addition." But they obviously decided to re-sign Oliver Perez. He was only 27 years old. They gave him a three-year, 36 million dollar deal. And bro, we got to own it. I have to own it. I was not against this. This is the one thing Salicata and I always bust each other's balls about. I was always a pro Oliver Perez guy. And by the way, why not? He was 26 years old. He was coming off a solid season in 2008. Was coming off a really good season in 2007. Was still incredibly young. And they got him back on a three-year contract. And you looked at the other starting pitchers that were out there. And really, Derek Lowe was the competition. Because, like I said, Hoff, they were never in on CC Sabathia. It was never, ever going to happen. So at the time, I was good with re-signing him. And what ended up happening after that was, I got to tell you, bro, pound for pound, the worst signing in the history of the franchise. And the reason I say that is Oliver Perez, after signing a contract for three years, made 21 starts in three years, okay? His ERA was 6.81, not 4.81, 4.81, not 5.81, 6.81. He was as effing bad as anybody you could imagine after he got that contract. So I know it's not a free agent edition, but do you see my point why this is not a real podcast if we don't give five minutes to ripping Oliver Perez a new ass? I, I, ag- I agree, and I was so anti-re-signing him for many different reasons. Um, but I, I it's funny because when you actually talk about him being a Met and traded to the team, like that was actually a positive trait. Yes, yes. So hundred percent. So I, it, it, but you're right. As soon as we, and the worst part about the Oliver Perez. Uh, free agency was that he sucked for us, but he's still pitching now or what just just retired or whatever it is. Like <laughs> he was so bad and we had to deal with that crap. And then we see him with go to the playoffs. We see him become a stud relief pitcher. I mean that that did suck. And I always remember because his contract was something that used to bother me when the Mets let go Daniel Murphy and he signed a three for thirty six year contract, I believe it was. Yeah. Wasn't that what Ali Ali Perez signed? 
Three he did. He signed a three-year, thirty-six million. That's dollars. always in the back of my freaking head. I'm like, if you spent money on Oliver Perez, uh, how many years ago on that crap you couldn't sign Daniel Murphy for three for thirty-six? Ugh. But so, so you mentioned what he became out of the bullpen, and I give him a lot of credit. You know, I could take my hatred aside for him and say, hey, the guy reinvented himself, and the guy put together a really good career. And I remember when it felt like Ali was a sink cost, where a sunk cost, I should say. And we couldn't start him every five days anymore. I remember thinking, boy, they should just try to reinvent him. They should try to make him a left-handed reliever. And I think at the time, Perez didn't want to do it. Oliver Perez didn't want to go back to the minor leagues, didn't want to become this left-handed specialist. And it wasn't until the Mets caught him, and he really had no choice. At that point, Oliver Perez could have left Major League Baseball. He'd certainly made enough money. Or he had the opportunity to reinvent himself. The Mets were never given the chance to do that, if memory serves correct, that he was not going to humble himself in the midst of that contract to becoming a left-handed reliever. And by the way, let's say he did. Let's say he said, you know what? This isn't working. I'm going to become a lefty reliever. We would never have accepted him because he had become public enemy number one. He was getting booed. His name became a joke. I don't know if we would have even given him an opportunity to then come back as this left-handed specialist, which he did, and he deserves a lot of credit for. So you're right. And, and by the way, you're going to hear a lot of this. There's a lot of similarities to this and a few other moves we'll get to where the trade itself initially was good and the guy performed, and then it was the extension in which it became a disaster. I gotta be, Perez is a great example. I got to be honest. This has been going on for, what, 10 minutes, and I'm going to hate this podcast already. <laughs> it's depressing. I know. Oh, it's awful. <laughs> That's why I made sure a while back to do the pro-free agent signing because we needed to feel good about ourselves before we got depressed. Here's the one that when I say his name, you'll say, what are you talking about? This guy was a great Met. Well, you know, what the hell do you mean by that? Uh, but it fits the exact same bill as Oliver Perez. And that, of course, is Yoenis Cespedes. Uh, obviously the Mets traded for him in one of the great trade deadline deals in the history of the franchise. Um, you could argue it's the best one. I know there are some others you can look back on. You could look back at Don Clendenin in 1969. You could look back at Keith Hernandez in 1983. I understand that. I totally get it. Those led to championships. This didn't lead to a title. But in terms of the impact he made, and the difference in what the Mets would have been if they didn't make that trade to when they did make the trade, it was pound for pound one of the great trade deadline deals of all time. And when they made the deal, I said this on the air to Joe. I said, just remember, we're effing around. We're not marrying her. We're going to have a real good night with her, but we're not marrying her. And that's the way I looked at Yoannis, except I was wrong. Because at the end of the season, after many Met fans, myself included, were screaming and yelling, you've got to keep Yoannis, you have to keep Yoannis, they did on a very, very creative three-year, but he can opt out after one contract. And it was great. It worked out beautifully. Yoannis had a good season in 2016. He opted out. And then we were in the same boat. Yoannis Cespedes is a free agent. What the hell should the Mets do? And the Mets ultimately did what... Well, we wanted them to do. And that was they handed Cespedes a four-year, $110 million contract. And that's where the discussion on Yoannis sucking 
and not being a good Met, that's where it kicks in. Because in 2015, he was great. In 2016, he was great. And then the rest of his Met career, for a myriad of reasons, which we're about to get to, became a disaster. Before we get into it, I wanted Cespedes back. I'm pretty sure every Met fan wanted Cespedes back. You were in that group, right, Hoff? You were applauding the Wilpons and Sandy Alderson for giving Yoannis the four years 110, correct? So I, I'm going to th- rewind it just a little bit. To me, he was a key to the playoff run in, in 2015. It was a no-brainer. Sign him. I didn't really like the creativity behind the deal, but I said, well, you got to do it. It's fine. The problem was that that was their key offseason move. And to me, we've. this is why this is such a weird uh you know, free agent topic because it was already our possession. You need to add to it. So that's why the Wilpon screwed the pooch on that. But after that first year, after that first free agent's year that we signed and he opted out, I kind of was, are we really going to go through this again? So I, I wasn't 100% sold, but I'm not going to say I wasn't sold. Yeah, I, I think when they made that announcement, I remember when they made the deal to sign him on the four-year deal, my wife woke me up to tell me. That's how I found <laughs> oh, geez, out. I'm sorry yeah. about that. Yeah, she got the update on her phone and knew I was you know, <laughs> nervous about it. So she said, honey, you're not going to believe it. Yoannis is back. It's one of those contracts where I think you know in the moment it's probably not going to work. It's probably not the greatest contract in the world, but you have to do it. And, and that's the way I viewed it. I didn't think... It would work out as badly as it did. What's funny is in his first year of the new contract, 2017, he was an incredibly productive player. He just didn't play. That was the problem. He missed half the season and only played 81 games, and obviously the season spiraled out of control, and the Mets had an awful, awful season. It turned out to be Terry Collins' last year with the team. Then you got 2018, where, again, barely plays. Sort of productive when he plays, but he plays 38 games in 2018. And then you got the uh, the bull moose situation or the horse situation. What was the animal that the ox? It was a wild cow? boar. The boar. He had the boar issues. <laughs> he had the boar. We actually had someone on air to call into Steve Summers to explain to him about the boars because they would go boar hunting. Like this guy was a guy who actually went boar hunting with a lot of <laughs> Cespedes' teammates, but didn't want to route him out. He's like, "Yeah, this happens all the time. There's a lot of traps." Blah 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 blah. So this was a, clearly a big issue in, in in Florida. Yes, yes, the boars are a major problem in Florida. And that was basically the rest of his career. He didn't play at all in 2019, a year in which the Mets were actually decent and somewhat independent race. And then he comes back in the pandemic year. And it was, so, this is the most bizarre five minutes we ever got with Yoannis Cespedes. He comes back as the designated hitter in the pandemic season. We all sort of figure he's coming back because he just wants to, to make some money. I think they restructured his deal. They did. Where it was all incentive-based. And then there was only a 60-game season, so there was controversy around how much could he actually make off the 60 games. He comes back. He has a dramatic home run on opening day in front of nobody because there were no fans there at the time. And I was like, oh, wow, okay. Maybe they're going to get something out of this guy. And then after eight games in which he at 161, just leaves. Just just walks out, just says, I'm done. I think he cited COVID. Like, ah, I don't want to play during this COVID season, which 
Look, there were a lot of guys that opted out. I understand it. It didn't feel like that was the reason. It felt like Yoannis Espinosa was just done playing baseball. So his Met career ended in the most obscure, bizarre way. But when you look at the four-year contract for $110 million, here are the facts. In the four years, he had 28 home runs. In the four years, he played about 120 games. In four years! So, Cespedes fits kind of the Oliver Perez thing. Obviously, a lot more extreme in that he was a good Met until he signed the contract as a free agent. And he got to free agency. There were rumors he was going to go to the Washington Nationals. Like, he could have left. He could have been a New York Yankee. I think there were rumors about the Yankees. And ultimately, he resigns, and it turns into pound for pound one of the worst contracts in the history of the franchise. Uh, I, I I think that they also sued to get the money back from him. If I'm correct, yes. right? Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Did the Mets win? Did the Wilpons win? Did they get yeah. they get get the, get the payday? <laughs> Nobody gives a rat's ass. We know that. I right, two more that fit this bill. Uh, Luis Castillo. I don't want to spend that much time on him. The Mets traded for him. Omar Minaya did. At that point in his career, he wasn't the same guy. They end up resigning him to a four-year, $25 million deal. He was vastly overpaid. He just, he wasn't good. As simple as that. So it was different than Perez and Cespedes and that. Castillo was never good for the Mets. And the Mets made a huge mistake in re-signing him after they had traded for him. The other guy, and it was a long time ago. Oh, and also, by the way, he also hindered uh, the, the from the Mets getting other people at that spot because they paid him for they, the, the overcommitment to him as well was really yeah, bothersome. They, they blocked second base and they were paying him a lot of money. That's that's always the negative about a bad free agent. Uh, before Steve Cohen bought the team with the Wilpons, it was uh oh bad free agent. Now this amount of money will not be respent. This position is now filled. We just have to play this guy every day. So the bad free agent almost kind of became worse than the player not being good because of the impact it would have in other areas. Another guy who fits the bill of he was really good for one year is Bernard Gilkey. The Mets traded for Bernard Gilkey right before the 1996 season. They traded like Eric Ludwig and two other minor leaguers, non-existent guys. And Gilkey put together, honestly, one of the great seasons that you'll ever see. He comes to the Mets he hits 317. He ties the RBI record. The Mets single season RBI record at the time was a buck 17. He tied it. He hit 30 home runs. He had 44 doubles. He was unbelievable. And he really was. He was a tremendous Met in 1996. It was that odd year where the team was terrible, but they had three great years from position players Todd Hundley, Lance Johnson, and Bernard Gilkey. So Gilkey has this great year, and then when the season's over, the Mets have to keep him. How can you not? He's coming off this amazing year, and they gave him a four-year, $20 million contract, and oh my God, it's like Bernard Gilkey said, great, you paid me, I'm done, because he sucked in 1997. He was even worse in 1998. They finally traded him at the deadline, and my memory of Bernard Gilkey is Bob Murphy, the great Bob Murphy, would say over and over again about Gilkey. You know, we all know what Bernard Gilkey is. He'll be just fine. And I, by August of 98, I'm like, Murph, is he going to be just fine? <laughs> you know, at what point do you say he's not going to be just fine? He just sucks. So one great year, give him a new contract. It becomes a disaster. 
those are your five guys that kind of fit the bill of they weren't technically free agents added. They were just free agents that the Mets decided to keep. Of those five guys, in your opinion, Hoff, which one was the worst? Oh, I mean, there's, I, the hate for most of those guys is, is immense. But I, I think the Cespedes was just a debacle. And I there were so many ways they could have gotten out of it, but they doubled down that second year with the free agent signing. Again, I'm like, ah. So I think that that hurts the most. Yeah, I, I'll leave George Foster out only because we didn't experience it. Uh, I can imagine that any Met fan over the age of 50 is probably screaming, it's George Foster, it's George Foster. I, I totally get that. I'm actually going to give the edge to Ali Paris because <laughs> to be that bad, I mean, he had a 6-8 ERA. And he was 27. Like, there was no reason for Oliver Perez to just completely collapse the way he did. But he did. So, there you go.